This is Alex. I'm from Boston. Hello, this is Jackie, and I'm from Houston. Hey, this is Rahul from Stanford. And we are the Premier Chefs. All right, guys, we're back to talk about Leeds United. And that was an interesting game for many, many reasons. But Rahul, I'll come to you first. Do you want to take us through the starting 11? Yeah, sure. Uh, so Mendy in goal, Reese James, Thiago Silva, Koulibaly. Back three, Reese James continues at the right center back position. Uh, Loftus Cheek in his newfound right wing back. Uh, on Google, at least, it said it was a 3 5 2. So it said Mason Mount, Jorginho, and Connor played. Uh, as a midfield three, but I, I think uh, Mount was a little more fluid and was going further up. Cucurella left wing back, uh, and Sterling and Kai Havertz as our front two, uh, but really part of the front three with Mount up there as well. Yeah, and I mean, we all know how this game went and how we're going to talk about it for a few minutes, but I want to talk about a few different things before we get into the details of the game. Alex Conor Gallagher making his first full start for Chelsea. He's been at the club since he was eight years old. Must be exciting for him. Must be a big day for him. Obviously, we'll talk about the result later. But your thoughts on Conor Gallagher overall? Yeah, I think we we know his talent. We were really eager to see him come back from from the loan and and make a statement, hopefully, um, at his parent club. And I think overall he is impressed. I don't think he was ever going to be the player to suddenly step up and and start winning us games like crazy. But I think he could be a very big piece of the puzzle going forward. Um, with that said, Connor Gallagher alone is, is not enough to get our entire team performing. And I think he's still developing and we're finding how best to use him. Tuchel is finding how best to use him. Um, and Connor Gallagher, uh, his beautiful, luscious hair and work rate were not enough to win us this game. <laughs> Definitely not enough. That luscious hair might have saved the day, but not necessarily, unfortunately. Rahul, I want to talk about Loftus cheek. You said newfound position at right wing back. He did well for that position and coming to be a utility player this season, hopefully from kind of the positions we need him to play in. I mean, he can do a job, right? And we saw that against Madrid last season. We saw it against Spurs last week. Um, ideally, if you were to ask who Chelsea fans would like, including the three of us, we'd say Reese James. Yeah, of course. Uh, because you're limiting Reese James' ability on the other side of the pitch uh, by playing him deeper. Uh, but yeah, Loftus Cheek does a job and maybe got found out a little bit in this game simply because of the intensity from Leeds. But I don't think he was the reason we uh, ended up on the wrong side of the result. But yeah, I think uh, he can do it. I just don't want to make it a habit of him playing there. That's fair. That's a fair point there. And like, let's start talking about the result because you guys are ready to discuss it. Let's talk, start with the first 20 minutes. Within the first... 30, 45 seconds, I think we started off very strong. We were kind of a house on fire. In fact, I was excited to see the link-up play. I was excited to see Conor Gallagher. I saw Raheem Sterling taking on leads. It was kind of a good moment, and you say, we're getting off to a good start. But maybe, maybe if we had a goal, if there wasn't an offside goal, it could have been a different situation. So I'll come back to you. Why don't you take us through the situation and the offside goal, maybe? It's it it falls to Sterling. He does well. He dribbles past a couple of players, fakes it, cuts back. I think on his left, uh, it eventually finishes it off uh, past Melier, uh, the Leeds goalie. And you think, all right, this is the goal that we deserve. This is the goal that Sterling's deserved from his first two and a half games coming into this game. And 
Um, unfortunately, it's offside, and it's not what we deserved at that point because we were the better side, like you said, but uh, it's almost a shot in the arm for Leeds to say we got to wake up a little bit. Not that they weren't good enough in that first 20 minutes or so, uh, but almost we got to press Chelsea a little bit harder. We got to be a little more aggressive on them. And you saw that when when they eventually scores. Um, apart from the first 20 minutes, they were much better and, and overall just uh, worked harder than we did. Yeah. Uh, I know Tuchel says that wasn't the reason why we lost, but uh, it has to come down to that because one team really wanted the result and the yeah. other team thought they just deserved it. Alex, a few seasons ago, Olivier Giroud scored a goal against Leeds and we ultimately ended up winning the game. But Giroud comes on an, a post-match interview and he says, this was the hardest game he's played so far because Leeds just run and run and run. Of course, that was under Marcelo Bielsa, now under Jesse Marsh. Not only do they seem to run, they seem to run with purpose. They close you down correctly. They kind of have an idea of what they're trying to do. And honestly, it made me a little nervous how much they wanted to win that game, as Rahul is alluding to. So we'll talk about Mendy's play in just a minute here. But what did you see in this first 30 minutes or so as far as leads go and how much effort they were putting into closing down Chelsea and trying to win every second ball, basically. Yeah, I think we know, and Leeds fans have always had very high praise for Marcelo Bielsa. Uh, we know he's a, a well-respected manager with some very good, uh, some very impressive moments in his track record. Um, and I think even if he's gone, I don't think the players who he's trained and sort of drilled this work ethic, this mindset into, I don't think they're just going to forget that. Uh, in a flash, I think there's a core of players at Leeds, despite losing arguably two of their best players, if not the two best in Rafinha and uh, Phillips, they still have a core of players who are just hardworking, skilled, but but not not reliant on their skill in that they're not they're not flashy sort of. Uh, fancy kind of fluffy players these guys can put in a shift they'll get there they'll they'll put in the minutes they'll put in the work on the pitch they're skilled enough to win games but also just sort of down to earth and hard working enough um to win it in a mental way as well not not just in terms of the actual skill on the ball so th- we know they're a good team and they've been streaky in in past seasons in that you know They'll go on a little tear and, and win some games in super exciting fashion. And everyone says, whoa, this is they're serious. And then they get <laughs> flattered and, and concede five goals. And everyone says, oh, OK, maybe not. But now I, I, I like what Jesse Marsh is building. I like what he's instilling in these players. Obviously, as an American, um, I certainly have a soft spot for Jesse Marsh and uh, two very prominent American signings, Brendan Aronson and Tyler Adams, who he brought in. Um, and ultimately I think they did a very, very good job at replacing those two key players that they missed. I mean, they were missing Rafinha. They brought in Brendan Aronson, who has been just a workhorse for them so far in an attacking sense and also all over the pitch. And then meanwhile, they brought in Tyler Adams, who has slotted right in and looked very, very comfortable, uh, playing in the sort of role Calvin Phillips would have played. So Credit to them, and I think Leeds are really maturing after that promotion to the Premier League. I think they are really maturing, and this is no longer a championship side who's back in the Premier League. Maybe, maybe I'm being a little too maybe I'm being a little too generous. You tell me. I'd say this right here is a very solid Premier League side. They've got the mentality, 
They're spending smartly. The players seem to believe they fully belong here. And I think we're going to see leads around in the Prem for a long time to come. As Chelsea fans, I think sometimes we want to focus on what Chelsea did that day, if we were good, if we were poor, if there were situations. But you spent a good minute there describing how wonderful leads were and what Jesse Marsh and his group is trying to do, which is is awesome. And you spent a few minutes talking about the American guys that are playing on the team. Of course, Jesse Marsh himself is an American, but I think you, you put it very well. And a, a key word you picked up there was maybe we go from dirty leads to streaky leads to maybe now they're going to be a, a solid Premier League middle table leads, which honestly, you can't fault them for that. I think they're going the right direction. And again, all props to them. We did put ourselves in a little bit of a hole. Rahul, let's come to the hole that we put ourselves in. Alex talked about Brendan Aronson, workhorse, ran and ran and ran. I mean, towards the end of the game, he was dripping buckets. Part of the running is he ran enough to close down our very own Ronaldinho in goal, should I say? <laughs> uh, messy. I don't know what you want to call uh, Mendy in this case. But yeah, it was it was a case of, you know, we usually tend to lean on, on uh, Mendy when we are trying to keep the ball and knock it around and uh, in this case, I think it's Thiago Silva that plays it back to him. Aronson sees that as an opportunity. And I'm almost beginning to wonder if teams are identifying this as an opportunity to close him down, put him under pressure and see what happens, right? We've seen it. Uh, Leeds themselves actually do it a few games ago. Like you mentioned, that game at home where Giroud scored the winner. I think pa- Patrick Bamford scored a goal off a of, uh, mix-up with Mendy. We saw it most recently, the Benzema incident at, with Madrid at home. Now we've seen it again. So it seems like teams are picking up on the fact that he is not comfortable playing with the ball at his feet. We know that. We saw that in preseason, you and I, when we were watching the training. They were they were trying to get him to kind of play with the ball, and at a point he stumbled over it. Uh, and if you're watching on YouTube, you're probably seeing that clip now. So he's not comfortable. The question is, why are we then putting him in that situation? Credit to Aronson. Great, great run, great pressure. Uh, there's a question as to why maybe Reese James doesn't fall back a little and give Mendy an option because there is a Leeds player covering James in that specific position. But if you're in doubt, just put it out, which is what they teach kids in second grade, third grade. Mendy tries to be a little too smart, doesn't get it, doesn't pull it off, and and the goal comes through basically nothing. Now, Leeds fans will say it's not nothing. It's the the dedication and the willingness from Aronson to close him down. Credit to him. But from the Chelsea perspective, we really just let them score that first goal. And that's got to be disappointing because, like we've said, we were the better side. We had a goal that was ruled off for offside. Leeds were looking for that goal and the belief, and we just handed it to them. Uh, I don't know where Mendy goes from here. Obviously, he's a good goalkeeper. He's a good shot stopper, like we've said but we can't continue to put him in these situations and then expect him to be doing something that he's not comfortable doing. If you're in doubt, put it out. But let, let's play devil's advocate for a minute. Alex, I know you've been a defender of Mendy because Rahul has brought up this discussion of he's not very good with his feet a few times. And I beg to say, or maybe beg to differ, from the little bit that I've heard and understood is Thomas Tuchel wants them to keep playing it back to Mendy, wants them to keep the ball, they don't believe in doubt, put it out. They want to keep the ball and play out from the back. Is this, knowing Mendy may not be as good with his foot, is this maybe Tuchel's tactics where he has to change and say, while I would absolutely love to continue playing from the back, my goalkeeper is fantastic at stopping the ball with his hands, is not going to be a, a foot-playing goalkeeper. Yeah, I think 
it definitely, as as you both have said, is a case of just that sort of play style not quite lining up with his skills. And we know he's a good stopper. We we know he he can pull off world class saves. He's good at claiming the ball. He can command his box. It's just a matter of the playing with the feet that is not comfortable. And at a certain point, you have to say, look, either we're going to play a style that suits him or we're going to adjust our play style. And, and maybe, uh, you know, maybe if we maintain, if we maintain that idea that we want to play out from the back, we want to be fancy at that point, you say, okay, let's go scout a different goalkeeper because I'm not saying Mendy's not good enough for us, but if this is the way we want to play, and, and I mean, I know we see uh, there have been talks about is Kepa going to head out or whatever. However, we line up Mendy's upcoming replacement, whether that's in the next season or this season or in the next few years, however, we try to bring in and, and position this next thing. And I know we do now have uh, Slanina to monitor, but let's think about either playing a system that fits our goalkeepers or getting goalkeepers that fit the system. Because, yeah, I mean, I agree with you both. It, it, it is it is just a mismatch. Um, and whoever's to blame for it, I will say to to come to Mendy's defense a little bit here, I, I said uh, on a prior episode that while I do admit Mendy makes mistakes now and then, I think blaming him would be sort of trying to avoid blame for larger problems. And I think this is yet another one of those, one of those situations where, you know what, it is an unfortunate, unfortunate mess up. You could either blame the tactics or you could blame Mendy, regardless of who you blame. We had three shots on target this entire game. We couldn't score a single goal with 61% possession against Leeds, And we lost three nil. I mean, you know, men, yes, Mendy made an error, but I, if, if our forwards can't put a single ball in the opponent's net, I don't know who we are to be blaming him for this. These it, uh, it is a very, very strong point, Alex, because you're not the first person nor the last person who said that is in the footballing world, mistakes will happen. And while I know Rahul has some more things to say about Mendy here, <laughs> he doesn't have the mistakes every week per se. Maybe it's once a month, once every six weeks or something. But yes, 61% against Leeds, should be scoring three goals for us, not conceding three goals. At that point, it's 3-1. We're on the episode laughing off of how Mendy's not great with his feet, but guess what? We don't care because he saved six other shots and we win 3-1. Rahul, I'll bring you back in because you're chuckling away there quietly, but what do you have to add to this discussion? Because it's a fascinating discussion. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with the point that we should be scoring more, we should be creating more. And actually in that last episode with Ben, when we were talking about the controversy with the referees, I did say ultimately it comes down to we didn't score the third goal that we needed to win that game against Spurs. And it comes back to this. In this case, we let the first goal in, which is where the blame goes to Mendy, right? You're playing away. You're playing in a hostile environment. Leeds fans, they they know the rivalry with Chelsea. We know what it means to, to be going there and playing. You basically gift them a goal at a point where the tides were turning a little bit because Leeds were growing in confidence and, and realizing that it's 30 minutes in, they haven't conceded a goal. Uh, and then we just give them a goal. So I think from that perspective, managing a game, you think about it and you say, if that goal doesn't go in, we're in a different situation. Yes, they score a second one in the first half, but it's different going in 1-0 down versus 2-0. And Leeds get full belief, like we know. And uh, the other thing is, you mentioned Tuchel saying, 
well, maybe we should knock it out and, and you know, when in doubt, put it out. But that's not what he wants. Last week, we saw the same thing, Jorginho. He tried to force it out of out of the box and so just trying to clear it. And maybe it comes down to, to the players saying, you know what? It seems like I'm going to get closed down here. Let me just knock it out. Let's reset. Even if the ball comes right back at us, we'll be ready for it instead of being panicking in the box and doing something that we shouldn't. So I think, yes, Tuchel may want to change it, but if he doesn't, the players themselves should just be like, let's knock it out. It's a Thiago Silva yelling out, 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 or whatever, whoever, Koulibaly, uh, Mason Mount. I don't care who it is. Just put it out. It doesn't matter. We don't need to hold on to the ball 61% of the time to lose 3-0. Very, very strong argument. Like I said, it's a very fascinating discussion, and I think it could go on for a long time. So let's move on and talk about the second goal we conceded from Rodrigo. I'm not sure this is much of a discussion point. Standard free kick and a good header. Alex, anything to add there? Rodrigo seems to be a man in form from Leeds and four goals in three games for for Leeds. Yeah, I mean, we know Rodrigo is quality and it's he, he's showing it. I, I don't think there's there's too much you can complain about there. Fouls happen, free kicks happen, headers happen, and that's just kind of a routine goal that you'll concede now and then. Nobody particularly at fault. I mean, that's that that placement of a header is going past any goalkeeper. So that's one where Again, you just have to say, well, if you hadn't shot yourself in the foot in the beginning of the game, then you're only one nil down at that at that time. Um, or maybe if you'd scored a goal in the beginning of the game, it's not that big of a deficit, but it just sort of piles on. So I think you, you have to expect those kinds of goals to go in. The mistakes may be a little more preventable. Those kinds of goals, they'll happen, um, and it's up to us to respond. Yeah, like I said, routine, sometimes it happens. But we go down 2-0 at half. Rahul? What can Thomas Tuchel do? What did he do to change it coming back into that second half? Yeah, so we went to a back four, which um, we saw in the Arsenal game in the preseason mm-hmm. where it didn't go pretty well. Uh, but he changed it to a back four with more of a presence in midfield because throughout that first half, even when we were dominating, uh, we were just getting overrun in midfield between uh, Jorginho and Conor Gallagher. Not a not a hit on either one of them. It was just Leeds. Uh, strategy and, and energy that was doing that. So a switch to back four with, I think, three in the middle uh, and then a three up top, which gave us more control, allowed Reese James to get a little further forward, which we wanted to see. But we just didn't create enough. It was We were keeping the ball. We were knocking it around. Uh, leads were closing us down as we expected. It just, yes, it worked for a few minutes, 15, 20 minutes or so. But then Leeds get the third, and and it's at that point it's game over. Even even though it was over prior to that, you know it's tough. Rahul, you ma- you made a good point. Then it's tough for me to understand this, and maybe Alex, you can chime in in a minute here. But Raheem Sterling, Kai Havertz, Jorginho, Conor Gallagher, Mason Mount, Ruben Loftus Cheek, all of them supposedly pretty creative can do things, but our biggest outlet once they make the change is Reese James again from that right back or right wing back position, whatever you want to say. And it, it's tough for me to understand that with all the creative players in the team, how we have to keep coming back to Reese James to get into the box, get across or do something and be creative, which a lot of people are pushing to put Reese James in the middle of the park because it feels like he seems to be our best player at this point in the season so far. Alex, I'll bring you in here. Are you worried that Reese James is our creative talent at this point in the season so far? 
And I, I, I wouldn't say I'm worried because we know his quality and we know Tuchel's style often does revolve around either the wingbacks or even when he's playing as a right center back, he finds the space to go up. I do think it needs to be a little more evenly spread, that sort of playmaking, creative burden. And ultimately, I, I'm not, I'm just not too impressed with how our attack is gelling because I think the defenders are the defenders, the wingbacks are the wingbacks. We know Reese James is going to create. He will always be creating. And you know what? If he if he ends up being our top scorer, if he wins the golden boot, so be it. I'm not going to moan about that. But at a certain point, I agree, you do have to sort of take that burden off him and say, look, we can't be praying for a, a, a moment of Reese James brilliance to save us every single time. It almost reminds me of of how Eden Hazard at times was carrying the old Chelsea squad and it would be passed to Hazard and pray. This this team seems to be passed to Reese James and pray. Um, so I, I what I really want to see is a more cohesive attack. And unfortunately, I just think we are missing that one player to link that attack together to make us truly dangerous. I want to see... Holistic on the pitch a bit more because I'm just not impressed with Kai Havertz. And I know we're low on striking options, but until until we find a way to get that attack cohesive, we can't be surprised if Reese James is the one putting up numbers because our attackers are just running into a brick wall again and again, unable to really link things up and make them happen. So I don't know. I, I'm I love Reese James, but I I I almost wish he weren't always required to be that standout player for us, even though I love seeing him excel time and time again. Um, but unfortunately for that, I think we may need a couple new names because while Sterling is a nice addition and he's shown flashes, including in this game of, of really bright attacking play, he is a good winger upgrade. We still don't have that clinical goal scorer. Yeah, fair enough. And and again, to your point, this is why Reese James should be and could be England's number one right back as we go towards the World Cup as well. But Rahul, let's go back to the three versus four. He changes to a back four, and you smiled initially saying against Arsenal we got battered, but it seemed to work in this game. It seemed that we were able to at least control the ball a little, more, a little bit more. We were able to kind of stop Leeds pressing so deep into us. But I think it lasted all of maybe 10 minutes and then Tuchel reverted back to a back three trying to change things again. What do you think he's trying to do? Is he just comfortable with the back three? Is it the players we have? We go back to a back three and of course we concede another one. I mean, at that point the game's over, but what's his thinking behind changing to a four and then a three? I mean, I think the four was to help us control the game a little bit more, maybe make a comeback, uh, which we easily could have. There was a few times, uh, specifically a Reese James shot that uh, the goalkeeper saves. I think he switched it back to a three after we conceded the third goal, which was in the 69th minute. Um, and maybe at that point, he didn't want this to get out of hand four or five nil because Leeds were hungry. They wanted more. They mm -hmm. they were striving for more. Um, I think Tuchel thought with the gaps that would appear as we kept pushing more uh, in a four, it would just allow Leeds to maybe get uh, the fourth and fifth goal. So he switches back to a three. Uh, I think that's his preference, and we know that that is fine. Uh, but not every single game has to be with the three, especially if you're going to put your biggest outlet, like we've been talking about, in Reese James in the back three. If it's a back three and Reese James is playing the right wing, we've seen that it creates a lot more in terms of 
uh, goal scoring chances as well as just chances in general for the rest of the squad. Um, coming to what you, Alex, mentioned, I, I don't disagree that we need a goal scorer, but I think what we need even more than that is someone that's creative in midfield. Jorginho can do it, but he's not the answer. And it's not a hit against him. That's just not who he is. I'll give you an instance. You look at the game, and then we'll talk about it, but uh, Man City and Newcastle, 3-2 down. De Bruyne out of nowhere plays a blinder ball that no one sees except for him. Who in our squad can do that? No one. We had Kevin De Bruyne on us. <laughs> we had Seth Fabregas who can do that, and Jorginho can do it in the off game. But that's where I think in midfield we're lacking just someone that can go through the middle and so going out wide all the time. And we've spoken about this multiple times when Lukaku was playing, when Timo Werner was playing. They've been making their runs down the middle. We just don't find them. So I think until we fix that, our attack's always going to be limited to a goal or two until the defense helps out, which has been the case throughout Tuchel's reign, is the defense helps out with the goal scoring, which adds to the one or two, if that the, the, the uh, attacking side can get. So it's it's a problem that will not get solved next week. It's not a problem. It's a problem that won't get solved next month. It's something over time, and, and we say, yes, we'll give Tuchel time and players that he prefers. But in the interim, we need to win games and not let these things happen constantly because it happened in preseason 4-0. It's happened again 3-0. Everton was barely a 1-0 win. The only game we played well in, we drew, of course, due to refereeing issues. But again, we didn't score in that much that in that <laughs> game. So it all comes back to we need to put that ball in the net. And until we do that, or until we find someone who can create and score, we're we're in a little bit of a trouble. You say it's not going to happen in the next week, ten days, but the transfer window is still open. So, Papa Todd, if you're listening, Rahul has spoken. He wants a creative midfielder added there, so we can get something through the middle. But I think you make some valid points, and I think both you and Alex have alluded to the point of a lot of these creative players. But there seems to be a disjoint between maybe the double double pivot and then whatever else is going on up top. So. Don't know how we solve that, but I do want to talk about... We'll skip over the third goal because at that point, we're dead and buried. But I want to talk about uh, Kadilu Kudabali. Alex, I'll come to you. We sat here and praised him very, very early on. He looked pretty shaky against Leeds. And I, I don't know if this is a one-off thing or Leeds were just ready to overrun him. And he makes... Both mistakes actually were uncalled for yellow cards by a pullback or a, a poor tackle. What are your thoughts about him getting a red card there? Yeah, I think... It is what it is. Everyone has a kind of off game. And ultimately, the the red card, I mean, I, I don't read too deeply into that because a tactical foul is a tactical foul. Everyone does it at some point. Um, I think Leeds definitely are the kind of team that can punish our center backs who are a little older, not maybe speed-based. Um, I, I mean, when you're, when you're – looking at these veteran center backs, they're extraordinarily good in their positioning and their strength um, in their reading of the game. But ultimately when you have leads and the likes of Brendan Aronson, who in, I think like the seventh or something, ninth minute was the one who initiated that first shirt pull from Koulibaly. When you have those kinds of dynamic players, just really running at the lines and, and running into the half spaces, you can definitely, definitely take advantage of them despite their, their talent and quality. So I'm not too worried. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying, Oh my God, Koulibaly's not, not prem quality. Suddenly I think it was an off game all over the pitch. 
um, and they they played well to neutralize our defense. So not reading too deeply into that one for me. Rahul, do you think he got frustrated because we know we're light on center backs, and so he should have could have avoided that second pull because now we miss him for the next game. So while we're already suffering in this game and felt the pain, we're going to suffer more by not seeing him in the next game. Yeah, frustrations, right? I think. Welcome to the Premier League, uh, Kulabali. It's it's a perfect example of an away day here uh, in the league. And he got found out, like Alex was saying, by a faster player in Ericsson on the first one and then Gelhart on the second one. Um, he will learn from it. Of course he will because he's he's an experienced defender and I don't think he needs us or Tuchel really telling him that uh, if he's beaten, there's still a few guys there that can stop it and it doesn't mean that uh, the attacker is going to go score. So... Don't be as as aggressive sometimes, and and it's a lesson for him. Uh, hopefully, he'll be back after the Leicester game, and and we'll pick up where he left off in the Everton and Spurs game. Hopefully, that's what we can see. But let's talk a little bit more about the attackers. Thomas Tuchel makes a couple more changes. Christian Pulisic comes on. Hakim Ziyech comes on. Guys, is it too late? Should he have made these changes at halftime? Maybe Alex. Yeah, I think ultimately you can't be throwing on players hoping for a win you know when it's too late in the game I think ideally we all I mean everyone I remember a bunch of Chelsea fans thinking they were the next Pep Guardiola saying oh this is perfect Christian Pulisic is the best super sub of all time he should never start a game and we should just pull him off the bench and he'll magically win us every game no I mean players need time to get into the field get into the rhythm of the game get their feet underneath them get up to speed and ideally, you want to have your talented, creative attacking players on the pitch when there's not a big deficit for them to overturn because then there's a little less pressure. They're able to maybe play a little more freely. I think it was too little too late, and it is what it is. I mean, I've I've been saying it. I think we have yet again just seen that Kai Havertz does not have what it takes in that position. And I'm not even saying he's He's not good enough to start for us, just not in the way he's being used. I think Tuchel either has to rethink how he's being used or he needs to be benched uh, because ultimately I would take Pulisic or Ziyech over him. I mean, I would take Callum Hudson-Odoi over him. I'm, I'm, I'm not picky at this point. We just need to rethink how that attack is working because he cannot be our focal point right now. It's tough to watch at certain points in the game, but you guys have brought up a point that's good. We've discussed it a little bit already, but I think we may want to discuss a little more. With 10 days to go, gentlemen, Rahul, I'll come to you first. What does this team need? We've been linked with a striker. We've been linked with a creative midfielder, ironically, both coming from Barcelona. But uh, is that the right answer? Is there something else we can do? Is there someone else you want to call out that might fix this? And and I hate to do this to you guys because we kind of do it every episode now. But we're in the last few days of the transfer window, so maybe things have changed. Rahul, you first. It's not changed. I said it earlier, and Alex has said it too. We need a creative midfielder, and we need someone that can score. But ultimately, we need a, a little bit of a change to the tactics as well, because you we've had Lukaku, who scored this past weekend for Inter. We had Timo Werner, who scored for Leipzig the weekend before. So we've had goal scorers in the squad. Um, they haven't worked. So there has to be some switch. There has to be a meeting of the minds. Uh, behind the scenes and and maybe an agreement between the players too that that give feedback to Tuchel and say listen we need to be a little bit faster we need to release the ball faster whatever it is um, so I think along with that some signings Frankie De Jong maybe I don't know if that's going to happen 
Aubameyang seems a little more certain. And today we're hearing uh, Rafael Leao from AC Milan. Uh, it's really we're just getting linked to everyone out there. Um, but like you said, and I, it dawned upon me earlier today, there's only 10 days left. So it's not like we're here in June getting linked to all these players. We need to move fast. We need to get things done, over, get them over the line so we can start working those guys into the system, into the, into the squad. Because we're three games in. Yes, it's not going to be done now, the league and stuff. But it's only going to get tougher going into Champions League, Carabao Cup, World Cup. So... Aubameyang, I think, is coming. I'd love to see him on November 5th celebrate like Adebayor did uh, for Man City against the Arsenal fans. Uh, but that's just that's just wishful thinking at this point because we know we've had our hands burnt with transfers falling through. We have indeed. Alex, I know you've talked a lot about Cristiano Ronaldo, so I'll skip over that. But Frankie de Jong, it's kind of cooled off recently, but would he fit the mold of the type of creative player you're looking for? I think he'd be a fantastic player for us because I think he's someone who is box to box enough that he allows us to have attacking and defensive strength on the pitch at the same time. I think with Jorginho, you give up almost a little bit of both, you know, he's creative, you know, he can be sort of the metronome. I totally rate him as a player, but he doesn't quite have that cutting attacking edge, even in terms of just, he doesn't really have a driving run on him. Doesn't usually have a really defense splitting pass he's very good at ball retention but you lose a bit of that direct attacking and at the same time he's not that solid defensively so I think he's great at what he does but in some of these games where we're just getting pressed all over the pitch by a team like Leeds I think that's where you want a Frankie de Jong who can settle in keep his shape defend nicely and then break forward and try to punish them when they give the ball away um, because ultimately sitting around and just spraying the ball out wide, keeping the ball, it is what it is. Two thirds possession is great. Three shots on target is not great and zero goals. So I, I would love the young. I still think he's a perfect example of a player who takes our midfield up a significant level. And with enough of those kinds of transfers, then your whole squad is really up a significant step. Guys, I'm liking the one-liners today. Two thirds possession is great. Three shots on target is not great. That's that's a good one to a good way to say that. But let's move on from Chelsea. It's been heartbreak since the last couple of days here. Let's talk about some other results. Rahul, do you want to talk about what's going on in and around the Premier League? Yeah, so let's go to our opponents from last week. Tottenham beat Wolves 1-0. Uh, clean sheet. I think we would we would like that at this point. Uh, and then a striker that scores in Harry Kane. I think he now becomes the highest goal scorer, 185 Premier League goals with a single club I may have gotten that wrong but um, I think that's that's the record that he's broken he takes over from Rooney so look Conte does the business against us gets a point walks away goes away gets a win again at home and as much as we'd like to hate to admit it I think he is working a team that is based off of defense but it has attacking talent and it has midfield talent that can score or create at any given point uh, and you've got to give him credit for that yeah, I think we all know what Antonio Conte brings to this team and what he brings to the Premier League. And we saw a little bit of what he could do last season. And I'll say it here and I'll say it with a, a little bit of shiver in my spine. We, we're going to have to watch Spurs and Arsenal this season. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's um, it's obviously early early days, still three games in, but they look like they mean business. And the more points they put on now, 
uh, allows them to drop a few later on in, in the season. Uh, Alex, let's go to your favorite team, Arsenal. Uh, Jackie's already predicted that they're going to be a pain. Uh, you've seen them go top of the table after a 3-0 win over Bournemouth. Not sure if you got to watch the game, but whatever you made of them so far this season, uh, along with some of their new signings from Man City, Jesus, and Zinchenko. Yeah, I mean, I they're definitely looking quite good. I will say, to, to give myself a little credit, one player who I think has been really, really good for them is Odegaard, and he is someone who a couple, I, I think it was a, a couple of years ago, maybe during his loan spell, um, I was I was talking to someone on a on a YouTube video and mentioned that I rated him very highly, and he was one of my favorite players to watch who's not a Chelsea player, and I think he's really shown his class, and then Jesus is someone who I definitely, definitely underestimated. I mean, God, watching, I mean, first of all, I, I saw, I watched him, I watched him absolutely uh, kind of humiliate us in person uh, when I saw Arsenal spank us in preseason. And then he's just, he's just running rings around defenders, but also chipping in with goals. He's a really, really impressive player in the system that Arsenal are playing. And that's a perfect example, I think, of someone who in Pep's system wasn't really being quite allowed to shine. I mean, no discredit to Pep. Pep Pep gets the results. But when then he's moved into maybe a, a little more of a free role under Arteta, he is really looking dangerous. So all I can do is give some grudging credit to him and to Arsenal for the way they've been able to slowly piece this side together. Yeah, and, and you've got to give them credit because we have spent a lot of episodes here not giving them credit and, and saying what a bad job Arteta has been doing. So uh, he deserves it at this point. I don't know if you guys have been watching his documentary on Amazon, um, but some of the, the motivation tactics seem a little questionable, but they're working so far this season. Uh, Jackie, do you think if Jesus had come to Chelsea... With the current system, we'd be seeing a similar kind of output influence, or is he just better suited to what Arteta is doing on the other side? Yeah, look, I think he is better suited to what's going on at Arsenal. However, it goes back to a couple of episodes ago where I said he is the kind of player that has confidence in himself. He's not worried about, did I get the pass? Did they play me in time? You know. There was a couple of moments there in that game where he took on the whole team by himself, Rahul, and he would dribble and just go through and he'd say, I'm going to score. It, it didn't always happen. And and that's fine. He would make something happen from nothing. And so ultimately with Arsenal, I'm expecting at this point for him to get 20 to 25 goals a season. With Chelsea now style, I still think he would get 15 to 20 goals because he is that type of player where as long as Thomas Tuchel would pick him and he was on the pitch, which is the biggest challenge... He's just confident in his ability. He doesn't care what's going on around him, and he wants to play and have a good time. And he's won when we were going for him. I think you and I had discussed it back and forth, and I said he'd be a good fit for us. But for whatever reason, we did not want to compete with Arsenal. His heart was set with Arsenal because of the relationship with Arteta, but it seems like a big opportunity missed for Chelsea. But power to him. He looks excellent. He's wanted to play that number nine role, and it's working out nicely for him so far. Yeah, absolutely. Let's stick in London. Fulham beat Brentford 3-2, an exciting game uh, where I believe Fulham were 2-0 up. Brentford came back and ultimately Fulham win it 3-2 and stay unbeaten this season. Uh, So they're definitely looking good. I think a lot of people were predicting them to go down. 
uh, but they're putting the points on the board and and at least hoping to stay up. Uh, we'll see what happens later in the season. Guys, another game right after ours was Newcastle versus Man City, and it was uh, a battle of the billionaires in a sense because it's two rich clubs now. Newcastle have, have made it. Uh, but when you look at the two squads on paper, you'd say Man City should win this, but they didn't. They they went down 3-1. They obviously came back and made it 3-3. Uh, Jackie, how impressed were you with Newcastle and how impressed are you with Eddie Howe, who has resisted bringing in big names, bringing in star players and bringing in players that he actually knows will work within the system and not disrupt the the locker room? They have gone beyond anything I could have expected. And I think it's easy to see a lot of money. It's easy to play football manager and go out and buy the biggest names because you will get unfortunately football mercenaries that want to come for a big paycheck and just play averagely week in week out as Chelsea fans. We've had that in the past. We've seen that in the past where it doesn't always work out, but their recruiting department and Eddie Howe together have picked sometimes players that not everybody's looking at, but they fit the position they're looking for. A lot of us made a lot of noise when Kieran Trippier came back and we were like, Oh yeah, football mercenary. He's fitting brilliantly over there. He works extremely hard for the team. He shows that passion and aggression, but honestly, they show no fear. And 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 rightly so, because they've come to this point where they've built a fantastic squad and they say, we're at home, we're playing, let's show our fans what they can do. And honestly, that first half, dare I say, they might have been better than Manchester City. And that doesn't happen too often, especially when teams face Man City, they tend to sit off, play defensive, like you're saying, Newcastle were like, you know what, we're just going to attack City and let them defend and let them be uncomfortable. Uh, Alex, one key thing that Eddie Howe's done, I don't think anybody saw it, and maybe a lesson for other managers, maybe even too cool, is he took Joe Linton, who was traditionally a striker and has started playing him as a midfielder. And suddenly he's turned into a key player within that squad. Your thoughts on that? And, and is there something for other managers to learn and say, you know what, maybe Kai Havertz is not a striker. Let me not force it there and play him in a more comfortable or a different position that we may not have thought of. Yeah, definitely. I think you you took the words out of my mouth there with the player I might suggest that that fix for, because I think at a certain point, and, and we've seen that too. I mean, even, even though Jesus has now come into his own as a number nine at Arsenal, Pep did actually get some quite impressive performances by shifting him out to the wing last season. I think good managers are able to look around and Hey, let's, I mean, let's give him credit. Tuchel, Tuchel too has recognized in our shortage of right wing backs and right center backs that Ruben Loftus cheek can fit as a utility player there. I think every good manager knows that this isn't FIFA. This isn't your, your player has one position and must stick there. These are players with broad skill sets um, their attributes could suit different positions based on the tactics you're playing. Um, and yeah, it, it's not just a video game where they've got to stick to their starting position on the pitch. This is a real fluid uh, in-game, real-time uh, situation. And I think it's fantastic when you see a player who can kind of reinvent themselves a bit and a manager who can tweak the tactics to make that work. So full credit to him and everything he's doing at Newcastle. And I think Oil Classico will be one for the ages <laughs> for years to come. Yeah, we're, we're out of that classical uh, scenario. But Alex, just staying with you, every time you see Holland score, I think of you because I know how hard you were pushing for him to join us last season. Uh, are you impressed with this start? I know he missed out in the Bournemouth game from on getting on the score sheet, but 
three goals in three games, a decent start for a guy that, uh, you know, a lot we're riding off after that community shield. Yeah, I mean, all I could say is I'd like to speak with anyone who who was writing off Erling Holland after a community shield miss because anyone with two brain cells to knock together is is aware of how dangerous this guy is. He's just really I mean, I I'd like I know maybe maybe I was maybe I was smoking something when I compared him to R9 back in the day when I was begging <laughs> for us to to bring him to Chelsea. But this guy is the real deal. I mean, he's fast, he's strong, he can finish. He can he can head the ball. He can finish with both feet. I mean, his runs are good. His link-up play is quite good. He can actually like he's got a little more finesse at his feet than say a Timo Werner who we've been frustrated with sometimes who can't quite move the ball once he's got it. I mean, he's just everything you want in a striker. And there were a couple of times even when he wasn't able to get the ball in the net, but just seeing how he played, I mean, just putting his head down, he made a brilliant run and was slid in with a perfect pass. I believe it was from De Bruyne. Um, and the goalkeeper made a great save, but you just see time and time again, he is pure danger on the ball. As someone who did not have the privilege of watching the Brazilian Ronaldo play, let, let me just say, I think Erling Holland at his young age is the closest I have gotten in, in my generation of watching the beautiful game to seeing something maybe mimicking that skill set from the highlights that I've seen in terms of speed, power, finishing, but also enough flair and finesse to not just be a one-trick pony where you're driving into nothingness and, and you can't turn and you can't move the ball so maybe maybe I hope I hope I'm heaping on the praise too much I hope he stops firing and Chelsea magically win the league because he somehow hits a goal drought I think that's stupid I think he's going to cruise Manchester City to the title but we will see so I don't know what whatever I'll just sit back and enjoy and whether he becomes the next r9 and i get to enjoy it or he becomes a flop and i get to enjoy that as well i'll just enjoy the ride <laughs> yeah as as long as the flop isn't in the chelsea shirt um i think we'll, we'll definitely enjoy it but yeah only you... we only we could cause early <laughs> and i wonder if in strikers heads now it's like i don't know if i want to go to chelsea it doesn't seem to work out for a lot of guys but no high praise for holland and he deserves it of course lukaku scored in his first two three games and we know how that ended so uh, you never know how the season unfolds but uh jackie let's move on to the other side in crisis and that had not started the season well uh is manchester united and they had lost two games back to back they came into this game today against liverpool under a lot of pressure question marks over ten hag and what he's going to do Casemiro comes in and we saw that happen uh, over the weekend and he was un unveiled this uh, before this game this afternoon. A whole different Manchester United comes out. Of course, Liverpool have injuries and issues, but Manchester United, like Leeds, you have to say, just wanted this more, got the tactics spot on, got the goals at the right time and cruise to, or get to a 2-1 win. I won't say cruise. Uh, your thoughts on how Ten Hag turned it around and question marks over Liverpool now no wins in three yeah you you opened up saying you know Man United who are having a bad season so far but Liverpool are equally having a bad season so far I think they're sitting close to bottom of the table as well and so this was the battle of the relegation teams I guess at this point maybe it's too early to have that banter but bring it back to what you said about Leeds Rahul I think when we lost 3-0 
you and I discussed over text message. Most of our listeners know that we talk about the game throughout the entire game. And one thing I said to you was hard work will trump talent all day long. And that's really what we as neutrals, I'll say the word neutrals for now, have seen with this Manchester United team for the last decade. Alex Ferguson found a way to beat Arsenal with six defenders. He found a way to win the Champions League with not the best flair players. That was in 2008, I believe, is when he had done that and beat Chelsea. They won. It wasn't the strongest Manchester United team compared to maybe his 99 team. I don't know. I'm, I'm just saying. What he ended up getting was figuring out the way to motivate these players to work hard, to work for each other, to do things. And all I see on social media these days is my United fans complaining about they don't have quality. And, and to a certain degree, they are right. They don't have quality in certain places on the pitch. But with all the managers that have come, at some point they had Lukaku, they had Pogba, they had Cristiano Ronaldo now. They've spent a lot on their defense, 80 million on Harry Maguire, and they bought Lissandro Martinez now, Rafael Varane. I mean, the names I'm saying here, guys, they're not your average Joes that came in from you know Leeds United and are slotting into the team. They are world beaters. Jaden Sancho is 100 million. Ultimately, it comes down to, are they willing to work hard enough for each other? And today, for whatever reason, maybe they needed to have the wake-up call from Brentford. They worked hard for each other. They had to prove, they had to run their socks off. And I'm sure the stats will show that they ran. And on Liverpool's side, little cause for concern because they haven't strengthened in midfield. They're running the same midfield trio now for the last maybe five seasons, give or take, and not really found successors. They've lost one of their key midfielders when Wijnaldum left. Another one's leaving. They're not replacing correctly. So it'd be a tough one to see. Maybe it's not going to be an easy season for them, but they'll figure it out once some of the injuries clear up. Yeah, the the point on Man United is is very well taken. And I think we need to take that on board too. I don't mean to keep bringing this back on us. Right. Yeah. Uh, but we just need to look at what Leeds did. And I know Tuchel says them outrunning us is not the reason why we lost, but it, it part of it is because... They were just more energetic. They were willing to put their body on the line. They were willing to do things that we weren't. And Man United did that and got the goals again, exploiting Liverpool's high line, which makes me question why we haven't done that in the four times we faced them last season. But that's a whole different topic. Uh, Alex, I know you like to banter Liverpool, especially because your friend Jonah is a Liverpool fan. We sit above them for now. Uh, so you can go ahead and do that. Uh, but what have you made of Liverpool's slow start? And do you think they recover from this? It's too early to say they won't, but uh, is this a slope that they just continue to go down or do they now come back uphill and, and be the Liverpool that we know of? And do they miss Mane more than they realized they would when they let him go? Yeah, I think they they definitely do miss Mane. I mean, we've known Mane's quality. My friend, actually, you you mentioned Jonah. He's told me, Honestly, if he had the choice, he would have rather kept Mane than kept Salah, which might be a bit of a hot take for some Liverpool fans out there. But I think certainly we knew Mane was was a good finisher, but also a good creator. They're certainly missing that. And I've said for a while, I think Liverpool are lacking that kind of, may, maybe sort of similarly to Chelsea, but I actually think we're better positioned in that they're lacking that creative midfield department and I think they're fantastic wingers very solid defense in 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 past seasons has made up for this and maybe caused it to be overlooked as an issue um but especially until they brought in Tiago I was looking at their midfield and saying who here is a creative player I mean they 
obviously they've had some injuries. So Tiago, for example, was unavailable for the match. But when you're starting a senior citizen, James Milner, against a top six rival in the Premier League, you you will I will laugh at you if you tell me you can start James Milner in midfield and expect to win the league. I mean, and you're starting Harvey Elliott. He's four feet tall and like a teenager. I mean, he couldn't drink if he came to the U.S. <laughs> and you think this this gnome is going to I mean, maybe I just don't like Harvey Elliott, but between Elliott and Milner, you have two opposite ends of the spectrum of a player who is not yet ready to run the show and bring you to a title challenge and a player who is far past his prime for running the show and bringing you to a title challenge. And right in the middle, you have Jordan Henderson, the captain of being absolutely average at everything and having zero standout qualities. I mean, okay, he's a good leader. He can pass the ball. He can... I, I don't know. Uh, you call him the English Jorginho, maybe, but I, I he, he's he's fine. But the, it's just where is the creativity? Where is the flair? Where is the where is the beautiful game coming from in this Liverpool midfield? I don't see it. I think they I think they would be fantastic to grab a Frankie De Jong type player. I've heard they're in the mix for maybe Jude Bellingham, who I think would be a great addition to their squad. I think they need a little more flair, a little more spark in that midfield because. They still do have Mohamed Salah, Luis Diaz, who we know is talented. Uh, Jota has been injured, but we know he's good when he's available. Uh, and Firmino, who I've never rated super highly, but we know he's a talented player. I mean, they just got to link these things together, and I think they need to really revamp that midfield. Yeah, I'm still laughing at some of those comments about um, <laughs> Harvey Elliott. Uh, I wonder what you think about Lisandro Martinez from Manchester United, but I, I won't get into that. No, I think you bring up some good points, and I think their creativity usually comes from from the wingbacks or their fullbacks. Uh, but teams are starting to explore Trent, and I think uh, when you have a go at Trent early in the game, he gets a little shaky and, and doubts himself. It didn't help that Van Dyke let the senior citizen do the defending for him. Uh, but yeah, I think ultimately United deserved it, and uh, they got the win, and they go above Liverpool, as Jackie was saying. They sit, I believe, now in 16th or 17th. So... Uh, early days again. We a lot will be will change between now and even the next month. Uh, but those were some of the results from this past weekend. Uh, the table currently is, I said, like I said, um, Arsenal sit top, and I believe Tottenham are in there uh, in fourth. Man City second, Leeds third. Uh, so they're flying. Uh, and on the other side of the table, it's Wolves, Leicester, and West Ham United. And speaking of Leicester, why don't we, Jackie, can uh, transition over to our preview? Yeah, let's do that. And before we get into the whole Leicester preview, we do the typical stuff that we always do. One thing that's been playing on our minds here is the Fofana saga. So this has been dragging on now for, I want to say, six weeks when we were first linked with him. We talked to Ben. He's our transfer correspondent. He's been telling us there's interest from Chelsea. There's interest from Fofana. And Leicester is not interested Till we meet the evaluation that they have in their head, which is close to 18 million. The last we know is that we're sitting at about 60 million and we feel comfortable with that number. The interesting thing that's happening now, guys, is it's causing a real ruckus with Fofana. He's been left out of the Leicester, previous Leicester game, and there are rumors that he may be left out of this game as well. And so everything seems to be pointing to the fact that he may make it over to Chelsea in the next 10 days, but it also could end up blowing up in everybody's faces and he's just sitting out till the transfer window closes and then he's back in the squad and he has to finish his season off or 
we come again in January, whatever the situation may be. But uh, just the thoughts from both of you gentlemen. Alex, I'll start with you. Fafana, 80 million, 21 years old. You taking him to Chelsea? I think it's one of those where we almost have to take the gamble, and it is a gamble because that's a lot of money to spend. He is a young player. He's got a lot of upside. He's got a lot of talent. I think ultimately, unfortunately, due to Aspilicueta aging, due to the Kunde deal falling through, due to Rudiger leaving for Real Madrid, due to Christensen leaving to Barcelona, I think this is just a situation where you have to suck it up and say, you know what, due to the situations around our transfers, we've just got to drop the money. We know he's talented. This is the best option we can get, and he's won both now and for the future. I think we've just got to do it, and it's one of those where you don't necessarily want to – I mean, in fairness, he's not our first-choice option, but I don't think you want to go any lower down the list and say, oh, let's try to cut costs and bring in another player who might be viewed as deadwood in a in a year or two because he's just not quite up to par. So I think in terms of the risk-to-reward payoff, it's – it's high on, on both ends, but I think it's a gamble we've got to take. Yeah, it's a good point of view. Rahul, are you forking over the $80 million or are you saying let's revisit this next summer? It's, as long as it's on my money, let's, <laughs> let's bring him. Uh, but again, it's not $80 million up front, right? It's going right. to be over a period of time. So, yeah, I agree with Alex. I think we do need another defender in that spot because that will free up Reese James to do what he does on the right wing. Um, and Again, if if it's not Profana, then we might as well save that money and wait till January and see what happens because I do not want Harry Maguire anywhere near the squad. <laughs> uh, and so, Bowley, whoever is listening, connected Chelsea, and if you're not, I'm going to tweet about it. Do not bring Maguire here. Uh, we don't need to be a charity case that helps out uh, Deadwood, as, as Alex said. So, yeah, Fofana, I think, is a good signing, and I think when I spoke to Ben last time, uh, he was expecting progress, and when we speak to him this week uh, before our game against Leicester, there should be a, a further update and hopefully a little bit closer to Fofana maybe just leaving, uh, uh, Leicester leaving Fofana back in London after the game. Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing stories that they don't want Fofana to be sold, show up in a, in, in a game against them in the first week, and then it becomes an issue. So definitely could be interesting after the game on this weekend, but let's move into the game itself. We need to pick a starting 11, guys. Obviously, Thomas Tuchel will do whatever he wants to do. But Rahul, I'll come to you first. You're sticking with the traditional three at the back. You're looking for four. What's your formation you're going to play? I would go with the three. Uh, Leicester are struggling a little bit. And so I think uh, we should get the goals. So I think let's just stick to what we know best, which is the three. And who you're going for to save the goals? Are you staying with Mendy? Are you looking to Kepa? I would look to Kepa. Uh, okay. especially if we want to play out from the back and, and do all of that stuff that, you know, Mendy isn't comfortable with. But if we do play Mendy, I would like to see a little bit of a change where we're not relying on him to play out from the back. Let him just clear it. If it means we lose possession for a few minutes, that's fine. But let's make him comfortable. We'll tweet that to Thomas Tuchel. Alex, <laughs> back three, who are you going with? Uh, I mean, that's that's totally a tough one. I think it... Obviously, it's it's unfortunate we're not going to be able to have Koulibaly in the mix. So, realistically, I think we really do want to be seeing Reese James back out in his favored right wing back position where he can get forward. So, Azpilicueta, right center back, I think wouldn't be a bad fit. Thiago Silva, solid as ever. And then, 
left center back is is interesting. We've got a few options. I might personally lean towards maybe Ben Chilwell, uh, just in in that I think he's defensively maybe a little more solid than some other options that we have. But I don't know if if you guys think Cucurella would be better there, or if you think we should we should go down another level in, in the depth chart, pull another center back. Yeah, I mean, it's a good argument for sure. Chaloba might be one that we may look at. I don't know what's going on there. There are a lot of rumors surrounding him. I know Thomas Tuchel has favored Cucurella at left center back. He tested him in the previous game, so maybe it comes there. But it's an interesting conundrum, guys, because you got Thiago Silva, who's going to be the only natural center back. We know Aspilicueta can play there, but Aspilicueta and Cucurella, if they, they border him, are traditionally left backs or, or right wing backs or whatever you want to call it. So interesting there. Either way, that means James on one side, Chilwell on the other side. The middle of the park, guys, is also a difficult one, Rahul. I think Jorginho and Ruben lost his cheek. Anybody else you can squeeze in there? Nope, no one else is fit. And Connor Gallagher, certainly, no disrespect to him, but he can't play in that pivot. So it comes down to Loftus cheek and Jorginho. The front three is anybody's guess. Alex, are we going to see Christian Pulisic this time around starting the game? He has to, right? I think he should. I mean, you, you can't go goalless against Leeds and then do nothing to change our, our front three. I think it's got to be Pulisic up there. I think Sterling does look really bright and he's been unlucky not to get a goal on a couple of occasions. I'd love to see both him and Pulisic using their pace, using their dribbling and interplay. I really, really don't, don't want to see Kai Havertz on top again. I mean, I would rather put mason mount as a false nine (laughs) because we know he can shoot from deep and he can link up with the other two you know call me crazy maybe i played too much fifa i'm going mason mount as a a cam and then (laughs) sterling and pulisic on either side of him so there you go if if i were thomas tuchel maybe i'd get fired for this but that's that's what i would do no and and that's fair you may end up playing the v-shape rather than the traditional a-shape that thomas tuchel likes so that might end up looking good with sterling and pulisic running in off each other but rahul i'll come back to you strong lineup i mean we've struggled to get goals we struggled to get these guys to intermingle what do you think the scoreline will be i would drop mason mount too by the way (laughs) um, that's that's alex's choice Uh, i think if we do make some changes, we usually do bounce back after we have a heavy defeat. So I think we'll go 3-1 to Chelsea. All right. You're going for goals galore, especially after everything we've discussed and how we can link up. But that's fine. I like the positivity. After, <laughs> after Mendy messed up the last time against Madrid, we went to Southampton and won 6-0. So that's my logic here. It's a fair logic. Alex, what about you? What are you going for? Uh, I'm hoping just for a simple win. I won't be too optimistic. I'll say maybe 2-1. I don't really mind the scoreline. I just want to see three points and a little more of a composed performance than we saw previously. I have to echo what you're saying. I'm going to go for the conservative 1-0 win because I'm trying to get back to winning ways. But I think that's good. We're all going for wins and we need a win. It's been a difficult couple of opening games here, but Chelsea need to get back to winning ways. Rahul, I'll pass it back to you to take us home. Chelsea need to get back to winning ways is a good place to leave it. So that wraps it up, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Please continue to subscribe and like and follow us. Uh, And also leave us a review on Apple so we can reach other fans. Uh, And we will be back later this week. Like I said, we'll do an episode with Ben. Uh, But until then, stay safe and up to Chelsea. Hey, guys. The Premier Chelsea is sponsored by Kickoff Coffee. 
They are a top quality artisanal roasted coffee. In other words, they're Champions League winner and Premier League winner every single time. They deliver fresh bags directly to your home. So you don't have to go to a coffee shop and pick up something. And the best part about them is every bag gives back to soccer charities. 10% of the proceeds go to organizations that use soccer to promote youth social development in the underserved areas. Use our code TPCOFFEE15 to get 15% off your order. You can order at kickoffcoffeeco.com or check out the links on our social media. Thanks.